Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good evening. Hello. Come here. You feel very close here. Nice shoes, buddy. I like them. I'm going to be distracted here, man. <laughs> it is a... Uh, it is a great privilege, as always, to preach the Word of God tonight. I'm really, really excited. To the Heartbeat Band, the guys that came across. So awesome to have you guys. I know it's not the last time. And uh, that, that song we sang at the first, the oh, 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 there. When I once went to a church and they sang, oh, they put O-H times 17 on the sky. I was like, that is amazing. That's incredible. If you try actually sing it, you can't count exactly how many O's are in there. But there's a couple of O's in there. And, um, but it's really, really good to have you guys with us in a really amazing, amazing worship. And um, yeah, it's cool. I prophesied over Lindy last week when I preached at your church, but Bronwyn, there's something on your life to bring freedom and, and, and life. And, and I think um, you've just got to explore the open spaces of, of worship, the open spaces of his presence and lead people in that. Really, really excited. So um, I'm sure there's some prophecies for the guys somewhere, but, 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 but I really, really just, actually, can we right now just pray? Why don't you just receive, I pray, Spirit of God. I, I don't know just what it is, but I know sometimes you give gifts to break open hard ground, like an, an excavator gifting, an abo- ability to break open where there's hard ground, ceilings. I, I pray over this amazing lady, courage and confidence and anointing to break open hard ground in your presence, that men and women would, would enter into spaces with tufts, hearts, and, and you would use this, the gift and the, the life on this amazing lady to break open the hardest hearts and take them into your presence. We, we trust for this and we thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So we're in Jonah, and um, I've absolutely loved Jonah. I think the difference with Jonah is, is you kind of, maybe you preach about Joseph and everyone goes, well, like Joseph, they don't always see themselves in Jonah. I mean, I've got a nice jacket, a nice coat maybe, but they don't see themselves in Jonah. You've got Joshua, it's like this big story of leadership, it's about people, and everyone goes awesome and encouraging and enlightening. But there's nothing like Jonah to go, every time I meet someone, they're like, I'm reading Jonah. It's helpful that it's only one and a half pages of the Bible. found that that might be something that's helpful. But, but I can, I'm Jonah. I don't know about you, but I, I read Jonah and I, I find myself in the story and, and I see so many parts of Jonah in me. Maybe I'm being too honest. Everyone's like, no, we're not like Jonah. We've never run, ever. But I love Jonah because I can see myself in you. And I can see myself outside wanting to run sometimes. I want to run sometimes. I want to run the opposite way from the call of God sometimes. I, I want to do all that stuff. I can see myself in Jonah. And we've been on this journey, and you've seen Jonah run as far as the east is from the west and try to catch the ship and go, oh, open doors of heaven. We've seen Jonah go and, and end up in the belly of a whale and be spat out onto the beach and have to make the tough journey from the beach to beyond. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of chapter 3. And I'm absolutely wrapped up in, in chapter 3, verse 1, which is, and God speaks to Jonah a second time. I think to me that is, if you want to captivate the gospel in a sentence, it's one of them that's right up there. Because God keeps speaking. And He keeps speaking. He keeps calling. And He's this God who is persistent in His pursuit of His people. He is the pursuer. We are the pursued. And if you've ever chased a lady and had to work hard, you've got a small taste of the hard work God has to do for us. My wife was a little bit slower in hearing God than I was. 
Just a little bit. It's okay, Kent. It's okay. It's okay. It's a lot of healing. And we're going to read from um, the ESV tonight. I just preferred the way it laid out one or two things. We're going to start at chapter 3, verse 10. So if you've been reading Jonah, you know where we've gone. He's, he's gone on this whole journey, and he's, he, he finally responded to God. He entered Nineveh, and he preached for three days. And we land up here. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But you want to know about God? People ask you about God. They, you want to know about God when, when people who take their enemies and impale them turn to God. God relents. Destruction. You want to know about God? The good, good Father? I think He's wrapped up in there somewhere. It's beautiful. And it carries on in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could, should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed, there's a lot of appointing going on, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was, not, he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? That last line captivates me, and we've got to get there. Then NRV puts it this way, should I not be concerned for this great city of Nineveh? 120,000 people. He's asking his prophet. See, Jonah wasn't this novice. He's like, whoop, we're going to pluck someone out, get a novice. He was a prophet of God. He'd been used by God. He'd walked with God. He'd had some victories walking with God. He'd been the ability to follow God, and yet he still struggles. And God, uh, when I read these scriptures... I look at characters, I look at Jonah's response, but the one I look for first is the Father, is God. I want to see God's response. I trust as you read this, do you understand how unbelievably gracious God is? Unbelievably gracious. And I think for us, sometimes we've got to look at that and learn, because one of the things we want to do is, is Jonah says, you are gracious, you are loving, you are slow to anger, you are, well, he knows who God is. It's easy to know who God is and then not become like Him. We sing the song so easily. Oh, to be like you, 
To give all I have just to know you. Easy to sing. But to be like the gracious God is a radical thing. And that's the call of the church. It's the call of every believer. Not to do church, not to pop in, or I do my number of services a month. I, I go to a life group, I'm good. No, the journey, the story, every time we preach the gospel is to call the believers to be like him and call those who don't know they mean to be like him to walk in that journey to be like him. It's the gospel. So the scripture brings me alive. And I don't want to get clever. I just want to work through some of these texts. Is that all right? So we start off in 3 verse 10 captivates me. It said, when God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil ways. Repentance, and I don't have a whole evening to speak about it. Repentance has got a little bit of a bad rap in many circles. And I want to tell you, repentance is an unbelievable grace gift of God. It's not this, this legalistic, religious repentance. Oh, I just, I want to say sorry so that I'm right with God. I told the guys this morning, my, my five-year-old, we were sitting, and he's unbelievably kind, he's unbelievably gentle. We're sitting in the lounge. He just turned out of the blue, whugga, hits his two-year-old brother, and goes, sorry. I'm like, but it doesn't work like that. No, whugga, sorry. I said, sorry, Dad. No, that's not really the point. The point is to not hit him. Oh, okay. We do that with God. And that's religious repentance. But there is a gospel-centered, gospel-called repentance where we understand, actually, this is wrong, and I turn from this way that is leading this way, and I'm becoming this because I fix my eyes on Jesus, and it's a 180-degree turn, metanoia, to become like Him. I choose Him. I choose the greater. I choose the bigger. I choose the better. That's repentance. It's not a religious act. Oh, I'm good with God now. said sorry. Don't, Don't... Strike me. It's not repentance. And 120,000 people turn from their wicked ways, from their brokenness. And the Bible said they didn't know their left from their right. They were clueless. But they turned. And the gracious Father relents. If that doesn't captivate you by who God is, it's unbelievable. And so that story, actually, if the book ended there, it's like, woohoo! But God said, I wanted the 120, and I want the one named Jonah. I want the one. See, God is always about the 120,000, but he's also always about the one. And then it carries on, and it says, but it, great, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, not just a little bit, exceedingly, and he got angered. He's mull with God. He gets all, he carries on and says, Lord, I knew you would do this. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were kind. He's, he knows God. You know how many people know God and still get moved when God does what God does? It's called religiosity. It's called wanting to know about him but not wanting to know him. It's called not the way to freedom. It's called the way to a very sad, very small life. Just being honest. There's no point knowing about God, but to live in Him, to breathe in Him, to find life in Him is freedom and fullness and satisfaction. It's the promise of the gospel. And it, it carries on, and, and it's all about uh, the anger of Jonah completely juxtaposed. Juxtap- it's been a long day. That one, say it again. That one, say it in there. Juxtaposed. And he's a rock guy. Um, uh, but this, this, uh, this anger of Jonah 
completely clashing with the abounding, overflowing love of God. It's an incredible picture. And it says, but the other thing is, we could look at this picture and go, oh, Jonah, you're a bad guy. I mean, you should know better. Don't do that. Don't do that because Jonah's us. We are Jonah. And we slip into it so easily. Like, oh, what a bad guy. So he speaks about who God is, gracious and merciful, slow to anger. See, Jonah's got this short memory, but there's a, a little fuse that triggers this short memory. And for Jonah, I think it's this thing called prejudice. I think prejudice starts out like a, like a pet. And in Durban, there's a, a road called Essenwood Road. It's like where, and, and there's a, a, a nice suburb called Musgrave Big Homes, and all the Musgrave mommies walk their dogs. Along Essenwood Road. It's okay to say that. They walk like this. And they sometimes get little Great Danes that are really cute when they're really small. Because our prejudices start as little pets. And we walk them. We can walk them. The problem is they grow up into beasts. And you see the Musgrave mommies going down the Essenwood Road being pulled by their Great Dane. Because they thought they could control it. But those pet prejudices that we hold on to. And for Jonah, it's racism. He's a racist. He calls it national pride. He calls it a whole bunch of things. But actually at the heart of it is racism. And it's a little pet that grows into a beast and he cannot control it. And it's the very thing that he, he follows God's will reluctantly. He goes and preaches. He's like this angry preacher. You will, you will, you will. He walks out and says, God, burn them. But you've just preached for three days. Burn them. Because inside of his heart is a prejudiced heart. It's a broken heart. We all got it. Let's face up to that fact. We all struggle with this. But surely the church is prepared to tackle this beast. Maybe it is race. Maybe it's just social classism. I mean, I love doing church with those kind of people or them, but I don't really want to do life with them. Them and they are two of the most destructive words in the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you. Now, I, I love them. I've got friends like them. Facebook post, smiley face. What about language? What about denominal, denomination labels? Oh, the, 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 the Catholics. Oh. Just, they just don't. They just, if they only knew. Now, I've met some unbelievable Catholic people who love God passionately and live a life of full surrender to Him and engage Him and bring life and freedom wherever they go. What about the, the Baptists? What about those guys who sprinkle, those sprinkle guys? It's like, what's going on with the sprinkle? Ah, really? So small. What about family ties? Or, or, or well, those are the rich kids with the family ties. I've said it before when I preached here. I grew up in a home of privilege. At 19, my parents lost everything, and I went from a home of privilege to nothing. And what crept into my heart was a, a prejudice against my friends because their studies got paid for, and they went on overseas holidays, and they had privilege and opportunity that I didn't have. And it, it was started out really small, but it didn't stay small. Nothing stays small. When it's rooted in sin. Prejudice is sin. 
Don't think God's okay with your prejudice. He's not. He's not. What about a couple of other prejudices just while we're on there? Local traditions. A whole bunch of these pet prejudices. What's your biggest, well, what's your pet prejudice? It might even sound holy and justifiable. And many in the room are young. Maybe you don't know that apartheid was underpinned by a theology. Maybe you don't know that. A wrong theology, but a theology. Maybe it sounds justified. Maybe it sounds holy. Please find God and settle that stuff. Right now, actually, can we close our eyes? Spirit of God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I know you want to bring freedom, and I know you want to release missionaries who are free because they found freedom in you. And I pray right now, expose Highlights and expose prejudices in hearts right now. Maybe it is racism. Maybe for some it's, it's rich people. I just I can't stand privileged people. Maybe for some it's, it's an accent. Maybe for some it's northern suburbs, southern suburbs. Maybe for some it's just far more simple than that. I just pray bring freedom now. Shatter, shatter the chains of the enemy right now in this room. That young people would not be held by the prejudices of their fathers, mothers, families. We declare freedom in this place now, God. Amen. And then what happens? Jonah throws a tantrum. Take my life! I just can't handle. It's, it's the adult version of, I don't want to play with you anymore. Have you ever heard that? I've got three boys, so I'm not playing with you anymore. Well, I'm your dad. You have to. Sorry. It's Jonah's version of, I don't want to play with you anymore, God. Because you, you don't play by my rules. Kind of like playing cricket with Gabe. He always makes the rules, and somehow it's amazing. He always wins. We're the brothers. It's amazing. And um, it's like... But it's that adult version of, I don't want to play with you anymore, God. And we choose a little bit of hell over a whole bunch of heaven when we do that. We settle for something really small, something really lacking power. And we miss out on the gospel opportunity. And then the gracious God says, do you do well to be angry? Not, I am God. You keep quiet. Woof, close your mouth. Not, I am God. I will do what I want to do. See, what's going on here? See, Jonah thought he had more of a part to play. The problem is we often think we've done more than we've actually done. Yes, Jonah got off the beach and walked to Nineveh. Yes, he, we walked past all this stuff. Yes, he preached for three days. So what? Who was it that opened the hearts of that king and those people? God. Who was it who brought freedom? God. God did the stuff. The problem is often we think we've done a whole bunch. And so we start justifying our actions, justifying our story. And I'm telling you, it keeps us in a very small little space. So God graciously comes in and says, do you do well to be angry? But what happens then? See, even when we're drama queens, because this guy's being a drama queen, and I know about drama queens. I grew up in a home with three older sisters who were all professional actresses. I know about drama queens. You ate the last spoon of cream cheese. 
I might as well die. Cream cheese, death. Cream cheese and death. Somehow they don't seem to link. But anyway, it's the same for Jonah. It's like God saves 120,000 people and Jonah says, I might as well die. So God starts working. He's done the job in Nineveh. Chapter 4 is about one man, Jonah. And it's about one man or woman, you and me. So what does God do? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east, made a little booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant. So here's our thing. And God appointed a plant. So here's Jonah. Preach, preach, preach for three days. Go sit on the east of the city and whoops. This is my very sick plant. And what is Jonah saying in his heart? Burn them, Lord! <laughs> Woohoo! More exciting than 2020. And he's sitting, he's loving a shade. Bible says he's exceedingly happy about the shade. God appointed the shade. See, the problem is, we get so caught up in the shade, we forget who gave us the shade. We get so caught up with the gifts that God, we forget who gave us the gifts. I've seen it time and time again. You only have to walk with the Lord for one year, two years, five years, 20 years. I remember sitting with men who at the time were earning 6,000 rand as, as very educated, equipped, young chartered accountants going, oh, I love giving to God. I love being generous with people. Now they're earning 150,000 going, I don't know how I can tithe. I don't know how I'm being generous. And I'm going, what is going on here? You love the shade. But you've forgotten the giver of the shade. And so we start getting used to the shade and we walk around and we stand on our self-righteous little hilltops going, God, burn them. And God graciously said, do you do well to be angry? But it doesn't stop there because God is on a mission. Understand this, the God of heaven is on a mission for one man's heart. He appoints a whale. He appoints a storm and he appoints a tree to pop up, a little one, just enough for shade. What shade do you love? What good thing do you love right now? That if God called you to something, that thing would stop you doing it. What's the shade? It wrecks godly inheritances. It wrecks Nineveh's being saved. And it stops the forward movement of the kingdom of God as two worlds collide because of a little bit of shade. But God's clever. God's clever. And verse 7, see, don't be too harsh on Jonah, because we're all Jonah. We all love the shade. I love the shade. I love the privileges. I love the gifts. You only have to do Christmas to three wild boys to know they love the gifts more than the giver. And you try to teach them, and it's... it's Yes! Go say, oh, thank you. Yes! We act the same. And then verse 7, which I absolutely love. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And we know the rest of the story. read it earlier. I love that line. God appointed a worm. This is like the Jason Bourne of worms. I can see the James Bond theme song playing in the background and the worm approaching God. It was a slow approach. Actually, Darren, you want to come do the worm for us? And, and uh, 
approaching God. Just coming now. Come on. Coming now. And God appoints a worm. Worm at your service, Lord. Little worm, I've got a mission for you. Go and chow that little tree. I'll do it, God. But God appointed a worm. You're struggling with the sovereignty of God? Let me tell you about a whale. Let me tell you about a wind that caused a storm. Let me tell you about a tree that pops up. Let me tell you about a worm that were all appointed by God. For one thing, Jonah's heart. Maybe struggle with the fact that God can take away. I went to a church and we were singing that Matt Redmond song, You give and take away, but that's not what they sang. They sang, You give and make away, you give and make away, but that's not the truth. That's not the story. God can take away because He's God. And sometimes the best thing we need is a little appointed worm to come and take away something which we've got stuck under and it's keeping us in a small little space. A small little space. Anything that satisfies outside of God himself is too small a space for you. I promise you, it's broken anyway. (laughs) Anything other than the love of Jesus and the love of a father Anything that satisfies you and finds you and you find joy in it over the giver of anything keeps you in too small a space. Young people right now, finding futures for yourself, find it in God. You're an amazing man. You are an amazing man. I met your teacher today, his mom, who taught you in grade eight. She told me about a young man who read through the Bible and then started reading through it again. You're an unbelievably generous man with your money, with your time, with your energy. You're an amazing man. And um, God will take away some things from you. Some of the greatest moments of the father in my life is when he took away some things. At the time, it didn't feel so good. I mentioned about my parents' liquidation. I'm so grateful to God. Because I look at my father who is wrapped up in the love of God and knows his security in the sonship of God, not in a bank balance. And I say, thank you, Lord. And I look at my life and I know the decisions I've made that if I hadn't walked through that thing and God hadn't taken away some of those security blankets that we love so much, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. I promise you. I know it. God sends a worm for one man. So what does Jonah do when his tree dies? Ha! I'd rather die. And the drama queen comes out again. Ah! Ah! Don't want to play with you, God, anymore. See, the Bible is full of leaders who could have thrown tantrums. Think of David. He's in the cave. He's going, oh, why am I in a cave? I've been appointed and anointed to be king. And Saul is running around as king. And he's sitting in the cave. He could have thrown a tantrum. He could have killed Saul, but he didn't. What about Paul? Shipwrecked, beaten, mutant multiple times, left for dead. Didn't throw attention. He got up and he, he calls the church. He says, don't let anything cut in on you. Why? Because when you are satisfied by him, nothing else matters. Nothing else. And I promise you, this is a journey for me. I promise you there were things with this world that sometimes want to grip my heart and they get little hooks in and I have to get back into the presence of God and say, God,
What about Jesus? 40 days fasting in the desert. And, and so the enemy comes and says, what about a stone to bread? What about Jesus on the cross? See, there was a, it's kind of like that when I was, I was 21 and all I had was a student loan and a 5,000 rand Ford Escort where they, you could see the road going under while you drove. And, and, and the kind of joke in my heart, I wouldn't say it because I knew it wouldn't go down well, was like you'd think of these rich guys out there and you think, oh, but they don't have Jesus. Ha ha, I'm going to heaven. It's religious rubbish. It's arrogance. It's a little tree. Doesn't bring life. Just being, yes, that's your pastor. I want to tell you about the promise of uncomfortable grace. Sleeping in a cave is not comfortable, but I'm telling you, there have been moments in my life of unbelievable isolation. And I look back at those times and say, if if there was a graph of my life of growth, I look at those times and say, Thank you, Lord, for isolation. Thank you for the caves. Thank you for those moments. God's giving Jonah that chance. Jonah's feeling ambushed by the grace of God. And God says, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? The problem we... Here. And in this great line, should I be concerned about this great city? What concerns you? What concerns you? About... Cape Town, right now. When you drive, see the thing about Durban, where I'm from, is there's hills. So you, the previous government planned the city out so that you wouldn't engage different communities, and you literally hardly ever saw them because of the nature of the topography. But they didn't have that in Cape Town; they've just got flat. So you encounter economic disparity wherever you go. Does it concern you? Or, or is there a little pet prejudice that doesn't concern you? Because if it doesn't concern you, I'm telling you there is a pet prejudice. And maybe, well, you drive through the fancy areas and you're not concerned about them. Or, or you drive through a black area, a white area, a colored area. Or you drive through areas of different languages and there's no concern. I'm telling you, there's a little animal that's growing into a beast. It's just growing. Understand this about Nineveh. The God of heaven graciously speaks to, to Jonah again. Who should know this? He says, Jonah, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. When you look at Cape Town and you drive through Camps Bay, down to Kailicha, through Blue Downs, through the northern suburbs, do you know this? That if they don't know God, and they aren't placed in his love. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. There's no point giving them directions on how to do marriage and how to do life. Because they wouldn't know where to turn left because they don't know which way is left. And they don't know which way is right. They're just moving forward. Satisfying every urge and every need. And our job is to be the signs and wonders. Those things, those love bags or love renovation bags are signs and symbols pointing to God. And that's our job. They don't know their left Understand this, and I want to finish in two minutes. Is this all right? We're finishing the series. I'd like to take a little bit longer tonight, but that's okay. Jesus always saw more than the obvious. 
And in Matthew 9, he's, he's walking, and they would have been tired. He's been ministering, and he's been preaching, and he's been going for it, and he's walking. He sees the crowd, and he says, and Jesus saw the crowd. And if it was the disciples, it would have gone, and they went and rested. But Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion on them. He says they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He always saw more. He walks up, and he encounters a woman at a well. And like you and I, sometimes when we're tired and we're feeling a little justified that I've expended my energy, I went to church twice yesterday. I don't need to share the love of God today. Maybe you've never done that. Sometimes I have. Jesus gets to a well. He's been walking. He's tired. He's thirsty. He starts speaking to her life. You've been married five times. The man you're with, you're not your husband. He sees more. The church that will change this world see more. I want to tell you about these things. I absolutely love these things. They were a gift. I wanted them for two, three years, and I finally got them. And they, at home, when I need re- some space for my kids to prepare for moments like this, I put these on. Oh. And then you push this little button. Oh. It plays white noise. I can't even hear you. Nothing. It's incredible. But sometimes... I get in an airplane. I just put these on. And I say to the world around me, don't come in my space. And I think we do that a lot as the church. And I think Jonah wanted to do that. He says, don't come in my space. I'm here, but I'm not here for you. I'm here, but I don't want to see you. I'm here, but I don't want to hear you. Sorry, what? What? Sorry. On. Bluetooth. Jonah gets, the book of Jonah gets to the heart of a clash of two kingdoms. One, the kingdom of self, the kingdom of God. Understand this, you can't play for two teams at once. You can't fight for two, two, two armies at once. You get caught in no man's land, you get dead. The kingdom of God is a high demand kingdom. The kingdom of God says choose him. And the problem is the thing we think and the thing that fights is the kingdom of self. Let me give you an example. I believe in tithing, and as a church we preach tithing. Why do I believe in tithing? And then many. One of them is this. Because when I miss the money bags, and I'm at the center of my giving, and I'm handing out, and it's all, because it's always about me. And I think God put a principle in place where it's not about me. Yeah. And it goes to the church, and it's not about any man. I'm not the giver of gifts here. Others, and, and we do, most of the gifts we give out are anonymous where possible. And the brilliance of that in God's design is that it's not about a man and it's not about me. I'm so good at making it about me and so are you. Because we are insecure people and we are broken people and there is the kingdom of self calling me. And I'm called, designed to worship in the kingdom of God. And these two battles in the book of Jonah, there is a battle going on with the kingdom of self in Jonah's heart and the kingdom of God and the call of God on his life and a mission and a mandate. You are called for something more. You were designed for more. You're not designed for pews in a church. You were designed for life and power. And the kingdom of God extending in and through your life, that's the design of your life. Maybe no one's ever told you that. Maybe all you've heard of the voice of a father, you'll never amount to anything. I want to tell you there's a father in heaven who designed you for impact, who designed you to preach the gospel that many will get saved, who designed you to see the kingdom of God invade your sphere of influence. That is the gospel. It's far bigger than the shade 
we settle for. Don't settle for the shade. The shade breaks. The shade lets you down. But the cover of the love of God holds. I think Jonah is about God pursuing a stubborn prophet. And we are one of those. So that we can all come to the place and pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we actually stand and pray that together? And I don't know how to finish this. Wally, Gabe, Wayner. Can we pray that prayer? Because at the end of it all, I think the book of Jonah is about one thing. Our heart. Your heart. My heart. Can we raise our hands if you open to that? And pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray, God, as we come to the end of this series, would you finish the work that you desire to do in our hearts? It was never about the whale. It's never about the worm. It was never about the shade. It's always about the heart of man. And I pray tonight, God, would you satisfy us that nothing else could enter, that anything else that would set itself up as a good thing would pale into absolute insignificance in the light of the greatest thing, which is your love and your grace that you keep pouring out. O oh, gracious Father, we worship you, God.